Well, thanks, Mike. And once again, welcome Oceanside Church. It's a privilege to be with you here this morning. Uh, my name is Andy. Uh, we miss you lots. It's actually snowing here as we film this. I'm sure it's still snowing um, when you're watching this as well over the weekend. Uh, what an amazing time. <laughs> and just see the beautiful glory of God's creation out there. It's awesome. School kids, I'm sorry that this didn't happen during school time. You could have had a couple snow days, but here we are. It's happened on the weekend, and I know my kids are getting out there, having an amazing time sledding and all of that. So I hope you're having fun this weekend. This morning, I'm really just praying that God meets us and challenges us through His Word. Um, he spoke to me a few weeks ago about what he would like me to bring this morning. I really felt that we were going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. He just put that uh, passage on my mind and really sewed it in there. And I hope that, yeah, he just pushes into you this morning uh, as you receive it on the other end here. But if you have a Bible uh, with you this morning, I'd encourage you to go and get one. It's nothing like turning to the text and reading it along with us. If you have it, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, from about verse 18 onwards into chapter 2 as well. And there is a lot in these two chapters if you know anything about them. There's probably more than we can chew on this morning. You could probably do a whole preaching series on just the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's talking about the wisdom of man, about power of Christ crucified, and so many different things. There's a lot. And I would really encourage you this week, after this sermon, after you listen to this, just Go back to these chapters later in this week and chew through them, look at them and see what God has to say to you through them as his spirit works through his word. It's living and active. He's got something to say to you this week, I believe, in these scriptures. Well, let's get into it. Paul wrote this letter, one of God's apostles there. He wrote lots of the New Testament and he wrote this letter to a church. As you can guess, it's called 1 Corinthians. It's to a city called Corinth. Uh, it's about 15 years after he had become a Christian, started to follow Christ. And this was an influential port city. And it was in the process of being rebuilt at about 150 BC. So before Jesus was born, it was actually leveled, destroyed by the Roman Empire because that city would not agree uh, that Caesar was king and all of that stuff. Um, but now in this time, in first century uh, church time, it is now being rebuilt and try to be rebuilt into its former glory. Uh, one historian writes this about Corinth at the time. It says, Julius Caesar refounded the city as a colony in about 44 BC. So it's about 100 years before this letter is being written. But he populated it with conscripted Italian, Greek, Syrian, Egyptian, and Judean freed slaves. Within just a few years, new Corinth's settlers were enormously profitable. Comments was at a crossroads of the nations, and it had brought thousands of eager settlers from all over the Mediterranean world and enormous personal wealth to a local ruling class of self-made men and women. The city was young, dynamic, not bound by tradition, a mix of dislocated individuals without strong ethnic identities seeking to shed their former low status by moving to Corinth and achieving a social honor and material success. Really interesting as you realize the things about these cities that the disciples are writing letters to. It really makes it seem like it's not a million miles away from our world. At the end of that quote, he says, yeah, they were there to achieve a social honor status, the status of a social honor and material success. 
and there was one way that you could achieve success in, in, in Corinth, there were lots of different ways, maybe by building wealth, but one of them was called sophistry. Now, sophistry comes from the Greek word sophie, which translates into our word wisdom. And when we see uh, Paul write the word wisdom in the text here that we'll read this morning, the word he's using is sophie. And so what was sophistry? Well, sophistry was a popular thing in those times where these amazing teachers, these traveling intellectuals would go throughout the Roman Empire, maybe different empires as well, and they would go into the middle of the city, into a place called the Forum, which most good cities, you know, most cities that you wanted to be in had, they would show up there and they would debate about philosophy, politics, ethics, or the different gods. And we know that there were lots of different gods around at that time. And it's interesting because wisdom and thought and philosophy and intellectualism were alive and well during these times. You know, we often think as 21st century Christians that we're so smart and we know so many things. In reality, uh, the, the, the ages that have gone by in the past were known for these things as well. And these teachers were called sophists and they had their own disciples, their own followers, and their style was really more about entertainment than really substantive wisdom. It was more about putting on a show and defeating the argument of the opposition than actually finding real truth. And so it was an interesting time that Paul was writing into. And in 1 Corinthians, we encounter a church who is embedded in this intellectual culture that's experimenting with all these ideas and is trying to elevate wisdom and knowledge above so many other things. And it it ascribed power and influence to those who were most charismatic in that time. Now, it really doesn't sound a million miles away from our culture and what we do. You know, the sophists, those teachers, they had disciples, they had followers, and that's how they created influence. People would send their kids, if a popular sophist came through, the, the, the rich people would send their kids, hey, go sit under this sophist, go sit under this teacher, learn their ways and learn how to have influence, just like they have influence in their intellectualism. And today we think about social media and hashtags. You know, power today is about creating a following. We've seen amazing examples where a hashtag, a new thought, a new uh, uh, argument raises in these times and people flood towards it. The same was true of Corinth as was true of our church today and what we are embedded in. Wisdom today and thought life today and what we think is right and wrong is changing at an ever-increasing pace. We know this. Uh, I was just thinking today about, you know, if you watch your favorite sitcom from 10 years ago, you know, I grew up with my brother and sister watching uh, some stuff. And if I go back and watch that on Netflix now, I can be like, wow, you wouldn't really write that script today. You wouldn't say those jokes. You wouldn't do it in the same way. It's not too offensive, but it's a, a bit on the borderline. You wouldn't write that show today. And we can quickly see the speed at which wisdom and knowledge is changing in our day and evolving. And it was the same in Corinth. If you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter saying, hey, come back to the centrality of the gospel. Don't be distracted by all these other things. You're you're muddying your life with all these other things. Come back to what the wisdom of God is. And that's where the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians are devoted to. So let's crack open the Bible. We're going to again open to 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to start at verse 18. 
So it says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where are those sophists? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? You know who he's talking about now. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power, God and the wisdom of God. The early church, just like us, was getting caught up in man's wisdom and ways. We need to be reminded of a few things that Paul says in these verses empowered by the Holy Spirit. The first thing is that we need to know that the wisdom of man is perishing. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's going to be destroyed. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You know, we need to be reminded that man's wisdom, our wisdoms, the world's best thought out ideas are at the end of days going to perish. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6, it says this, Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, no matter what you hear in the forums downtown, no matter what you go and see for entertainment, no matter those intellectual or, or ideas that you're hearing about constantly, that you're hearing your neighbors talk in and out from, those things are ultimately going to pass away. And the only thing we can cling to is actually the wisdom of God. It's so easy to think that we are more advanced in this than first century Christians. Now in kind of scientific knowledge and industrial knowledge, but in wisdom, I'm not so sure. If you look back and to see what they were saying in the courtyards and in the places, the wisdom of man has not advanced as much as we might think. That's challenging for us. Because we are putting our hope in different things in these days, in these times with the world saying so many different things. We like to subscribe to that and join this movement and all of that. And we have to weigh as Christians, okay, is this, does this line up with God's truth? Does this line up with his justice plan? Or is this man's plan? Is this something that ultimately is going to fade away? Probably the thing that I was most challenged by this week as I thought and was challenged about, you know, how we in the 21st century aren't that much more advanced in the first century was this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. He says, but we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And listen to this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood what God's wisdom was, they would not have crucified the living King. And the reason that stood out to me this, this couple last couple of weeks as I was reading is as, as I was thought, you know, if Jesus came today, 
if he didn't come 2,000 years ago, if he instead came today to our world, to our lives, or if the wisdom of man is still the wisdom of man, we would have crucified him just like they did. Now, of course, it would have looked a little bit different today, but ultimately, we would have crucified Christ in our worldly wisdom, just like the first century Jews and Romans did. Why is this so challenging? Well, you know, we would have crucified Christ just like they did. And that reveals something to me about the wisdom of man. That reveals to me that every time I see a new idea or a new thought, I'm going to be, hey, this is the same mindset that crucified Christ. This is the same worldly decision-making process that hated Jesus and what he said. So if I'm going to be a believer in this world, I now need to look at man's wisdom in a way that I'm going to say, hey, if this wisdom crucified Christ, then how am I going to live in this world? None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Church, I want to say our culture would have done the same thing. Jesus was divisive. Boy, he knew how to light fires. If the image you have of Jesus today in your head is that he would have not have got himself killed, I think we might have a bit of an airbrushed view of Jesus and might be following a hollowed out version of him that we've sort of shaped into our 21st century way of living. The gospel, it was as divisive then as it is divisive today. One quote, as I was researching for this, said, if you want a God who is tame, if you want a God who is predictable, if you want a God who is safe, do not follow Jesus. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. And the world, just like 2000 years ago, does not know what to do with that truth. One of the points I want to make here today is that the gospel is an upside down kingdom. And it seems so foolish to the world. Now, here's the bad news about that. I'm sorry, there is some bad news, but the gospel will forever and always be complete foolishness to those who are outside the kingdom of God. We can't smart talk people into a relationship with Jesus. We can't argue people into heaven. Some of us with our family or work colleagues around us are just waiting for them to one day realize that Christianity makes sense. But it doesn't make sense. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, again, just a little bit further on, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what is the good news? Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25 and we'll read up to 30 where again talks about the foolishness of this gospel. It says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. A powerful passage about the upside down, back to front way that God wants to do things when we compare it to the way we would have done it. I love verse 26. It kind of starts out with an insult there. For consider your callings. Not many of you were wise, rich, or powerful. It's true for most of us as followers of Christ. We're not especially wise according to the world's standards, rich or powerful, most influential. No, but God is doing something else. And in verse 27, it reveals that God actually wants it this way. Because God is choosing the foolish things to shame the wise things of this world. Church, are we ready to step into that? Are you foolish? Are you weak? Are you low or despised in this world? Well, the Bible says that God wants to use those people. So we need not be afraid to appear that way to the world around us. None of us wants any of those things. None of us wants to appear foolish, weak, low, or despised. But Jesus lifts those who are viewed that way up and creates them to be influencers in his kingdom. And I love verse 30 where it says, Christ Jesus, he's our wisdom, he's our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you feel spiritually wise this morning? How about righteous? Do you feel righteous this morning as you receive this message? What about sanctified or redeemed? Depending on what's going on in our lives, we all feel different things about those four truths. But the Bible states them as fact over each one of us. That we have the real wisdom. That we are righteous. That we are being sanctified, even though it might appear slow at times. And that we are redeemed and will be redeemed on the day we see him. We need to not act in our feelings, but in the truth. How foolish do you think the gospel sounded to the first century teachers, those sophist teachers, those wisdom speakers? Pretty foolish. It's not like the cross and the gospel was a really smart thing 2,000 years ago and now it's like, oh, hmm. No, the early church was saying God became man. Well, that's foolishness in itself. God can't become a man. He's way better than man. And he didn't become just any man. He became a poor one on the lowest shelf. He didn't become a Roman to, to rule and reign. No, he came in the most insignificant way possible. The most lowest, the bottom rung on the lowest shelf. Not only that, but he was the Messiah. But yet he was killed by the elites at the time. How can God be killed? And not just killed by, say, a murder or an accident, but killed in the most dishonorable way possible. God, really? God came in this way? Are you sure? Our gospel, our power, our wisdom is nothing like the world knows or would have picked out for themselves. Let's read 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5. It says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech 
or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you know anything about Paul, you know that he's an intellectual. You know that he was the wisest of the wise in this day, or certainly the most intellectual person of his day. In that crowd, he was the elite. He would have been that sophist teacher, destroying his opponent and making a better argument. But yet he writes to the Corinthian church and says, that means nothing. Man's wisdom means nothing. We need our faith not to rest in the wisdom and man-made ways of arguing, but in the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, he also says something similar. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. What an amazing turn of phrase. What an amazing thing to say. The cross emptied of its power. None of us want to see the cross emptied of its power. We want to see the cross come in power, don't we? So we've got to make sure that we're not resting in eloquence. We're not resting in a good presentation or amazing execution or or all these awesome things. Lest we rob the cross of Christ of its power. How can we live in the opposite of that? How can we live in the power of the cross instead? Well, Towards the second half of chapter 2, he reveals how we can live in that new wisdom. Let's read from chapter 2, verse 10. Let's read. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but listen to this, but the spirit who is from God. We've received that, that we might freely understand the things given to us by God. And we might impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? That last sentence, but we have the mind of Christ. You can have something and you can forget to put it on. If we don't put on the mind of Christ daily, we will live just like natural people in the wisdom of this world. Is it possible that we can have the mind of Christ but put it on the shelf? Is it possible that we can have this spiritual blessing in our lives but not go into it? 
that we can fall in love with the world's arguments and what it says and the best wisdom that is presented on Instagram and everywhere else. But let's be reminded, church, that the wisdom of this current age is passing away. We need to see the world's wisdom for what it really is. A people wandering in the dark with the lights off, trying to interpret the world as best they can. In good intentions, with the lights off, without being able to see clearly, they can't see at all what God has made. Don't be surprised when living in the truth of God alienates you from this world to an extent. Our 21st century world would have killed Jesus just like the first century world. The most, the most loving thing we can do for the world around us is to live in the power of the cross. The world will tell you that the most loving thing that you can do for the world around you is to accept everything as it is, to go along with every new idea, to go along with every new thing. No, the best way to love people as Jesus would have loved them is to present the power of the cross to them. Church, it's my prayer for us that as we step into this next season, that as we step out of the isolation and back into community in the coming days, that we would live in the power of the cross, that we would not empty it, that we would not just try and do the programs again, that we would not just try and do the motions again, but we would live in the true power of the kingdom of God. I believe that he wants to deliver Nanaimo into his kingdom. We believe, just like we saw those baptisms earlier today, we believe there is a hungry people who are waiting. It says the harvest is plentiful, but where are the workers? Are we going to put up our hands? Are we going to live in the power of the cross? I think we'll be surprised when we lay everything down just like Paul did and said, I come to preach Christ crucified. Even though it sounds foolish, there is power. And didn't the early church see God come in power? I believe he wants to move again today. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you very soon. Let's worship some more.